Job 36, he is exalted. Then Elihu continued, Job 36.1, and he said, wait for me a little while, or wait for me a little, and I will show you that there is yet more to be said in God's behalf. Job 36.3. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, and I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. For truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now, Elihu is the youngest of the four human speakers. If you're new to the book of Job, and most of you have been studying the book of Job, uh, as I look out at faces, so you're familiar with this younger speaker who waited to the end to speak. And he once again asks for patience. He says, wait for me a little, and I will show you that there is yet more to be said in God's behalf. I think when we are going through something difficult, when we may have a tendency to close off our ears and our hearts to truth, that's when we have to remind ourselves to keep listening, to keep going to the Word of God, to keep listening to messages, to not give up on our Bibles, not give up on our walks, because that's a temptation, a very real temptation when you are struggling with questions is to say, maybe I'm not going to listen to that anymore. Maybe I'm flipping over to sports radio, man. You know, maybe, maybe I'm going to take a break from this or that. Elihu says, you need to keep listening. And Job was certainly a tired man. He was very beaten up by life. He had all these questions about God. But there is an appeal by Elihu to continue to listen. He continues to challenge Job to listen just a little while longer. Keep listening. You never know what you might hear. If you've ever gotten to that point where you just are tired of being tired and so you just kind of, you throw up your wall, you don't want to hear it anymore, you don't want to listen anymore, that's a very dangerous place to be. It's better to close your mouth than to close your ears. Amen? As somebody once put it, I've never gotten in trouble for things that I did not say. But it's always good to keep my ears open because I never know how God might speak to me, even in a quiet uh, moment when my Bible's not even in front of me. Maybe it's a truth that I've been pondering or meditating on from a week or two or six months ago. You just never know. And so he says, keep listening. And some of you may need to hear that tonight. Keep listening. Now you've come for a study in the book of Job, so I would imagine that you guys are very open to listening. <laughs> but we need to be encouraged, as one writer said, to keep grappling with truth, specifically with God's truth. Keep grappling with it. It can often take a while before we get it. And we need not give up on listening, especially to God's truth. It can take a while until you get it. <laughs> That's okay. But keep your Bible in front of you. Keep a highlighter in your hand. Keep listening. Elihu is speaking, note it, in God's behalf. That's verse 2. His goal is to ascribe righteousness to his maker. That's verse 3. So his goal is to point Job and us in God's direction. Notice in verse 4 he says, For truly my words are not false. That means they're true. Middle of 4. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now that sounds a bit arrogant on the part of Elihu. What do you mean, man? Well, I think what Elihu is saying is that he is speaking as a prophet. And some writers who 
go through the book of Job chapter by chapter have said that Elihu can be seen as a kind of John the Baptist who's preparing the way for God to speak. And though Elihu is a human, he is proclaiming that he's getting his truth from heaven. From afar, some believe could mean that he traveled widely, scoured the best libraries, wise men, scholars to glean knowledge. And some of you are on a journey like that. You decided that you were going to begin to just scour the universe for knowledge. That can be such a tiring (laughs) pursuit. It can be a good pursuit, no doubt because you should be open to truth and searching for truth. But some people go on this quest to find truth, right? When truth is right in front of them. Truth is all around us. In fact, I remember some years ago, I heard a man who had, uh, he had signed on to Scientology and he got involved in Scientology. and He had given the Church of Scientology hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he said that Finally, someone witnessed to him who was a Christian. He got a hold of a Bible. His eyes were open to the truth, and he got away from what he described as a cult. But he said even years after being delivered from that cult, he found himself fighting temptations to go back and just do one more counseling session with the Church of Scientology. And so we all have these struggles that we wrestle with, And sometimes we want to scour all these places to find truth when God's truth is right in front of us and all around us. It would seem that Elihu is saying that he's gone into the heavenly realm as a prophet to receive God's word. And by the way, when you hear God's truth, even though a human voice speaks to you, you are hearing truth without falsity. Amen? If the Bible is the word of God then the word of God being shared with you and me is truth. Truth right from the realms of heaven. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for our lives. Amen? It's all inspired by God. And literally, you guys have studied the Greek there. It means to be breathed out by God. So that when you take in the scripture, you're taking in the very word of God. Psalm 138 is where I'd like you to turn. Psalm 138, this knowledge from afar. So the book of Psalms is a book of songs, and uh, many of them penned by David. In Psalm 138, I want you to see in verse 5, here's what David writes. He says, And they, Psalm 138, 5, will sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, Psalm 138, verse 6, Yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of thy hands. And then in Psalm 139, Just the very next psalm, verse 2, it says, You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. This is why the idea of truth or knowledge from afar probably is Elihu saying, I'm getting direct inspiration from God. And you know, you and I know that the prophets of old used to say, Thus says the Lord. Amen? And when a prophet spoke, and of course, you know, uh, prophets uh, 
were speaking to kings and, and so forth, they would say, thus says the Lord, and they would speak a word, and that king was on the hook, so to speak, to be obedient to that word, if it was spoken in the name of the Lord with the authority of God. Back to Job 36. Little Samuel, I, I mentioned in my prayer, was told uh, to respond, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God is exalted when my ears is when my ears are open to God's truth, even when I'm wrestling with things in my life. Uh, if you're still, actually, I want you to stay in Psalms. <laughs> Go to Psalm 46. Let me show you another one. Psalm 46. So the Psalms are a great thing, a great book to be in as you meditate and try to feed your soul, especially in times of trouble. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, 46.1, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, selah, that's a pause in the song, pause and ponder, consider, think about it. Verse 9, Psalm 46, he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving or be still and know, what's your Bible say, brethren? Know that I am God. I will be exalted. Our title tonight is He is Exalted. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Once again, we have Selah. Notice the psalm is written in times of trouble. If the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, if the waters roar and foam, verse 3, if the mountains quake at its swelling pride, we can be sure, we can be still and know that he is God. Take a look at Psalm 57, a little bit to your right. Psalm 57 says, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry, 57.2, to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me, Selah. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah, that's a pause. Think about it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises, and then all the way down to verse 11. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Back to Job. My, my journey of life <laughs> has taught me something. Some of my deepest pains in life have come from people. And uh, people can hurt us. And Job has been hurt by his circumstances, but he's been hurt by poor comforters. People who were supposed to come and speak life into his life, 
even his own wife told him, curse God and die. Job was devastated by his circumstances, but he was also devastated by the poor comforters that came into his life. But now Elihu is, has begun a different tone and a different tune. He's begun to focus Job, Job's heart in the right direction. He's not accusing Job of sin, and that's why everything bad happened to him. He's saying, Job, you've sinned in your suffering. Your suffering is not a result of your sin, but you're sinning now in your suffering. And what Elihu is trying to do is redirect Job's gaze back to God, back to the exalted one. We just sang a song in our time of, of music, Eyes Fixed on You. I get in so much trouble when my eyes are fixed on other things. But when I look away from those things that so easily hinder, and I fix my eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of my faith. And remember in Hebrews 12, when those words are shared, it's the image of a running race. And you've, you've probably heard this before, but a, a runner does best when they, they have their gaze fixed straight ahead towards the goal. But the moment that a runner begins to look back to see where the competition is or look down, they throw themselves off. They lose their stride. They lose their focus. They get overtaken. And Elihu says to Job, Behold, look, this is verse 5, Job 36, God is mighty, but does not despise any. He is mighty in strength, the strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives justice to the afflicted. God is exalted. God is mighty. We're going to see this over and over again. Uh, in 36.26, in 36.22, God is mighty in uh, verse 5. God uh, is exalted in power in verse 22. God is exalted in 36.26. The Hebrew word sagab means that he is great, he is lofty, in some ways inaccessible. He dwells in unapproachable light. By implication, he is also safe and strong. And the implication of the Hebrew is he's a refuge. If your eyes redirect to God in times of trial, not looking to the competition, not looking down, but looking up, fixing your eyes on Jesus, his might and strength, his power, he understands all angles of everything. Notice, his mighty, he is mighty in strength in the strength of understanding. There are many things I don't understand, but God understands everything. He can't learn anything. That's, that's a weird concept, isn't it? I'm learning things all the time. When I make declarations in life where I say, I say something like, uh, boy, that's, that's a new one, or I, I never thought I would experience that. Or just when I think I've seen everything, then I see one more thing. <laughs> And I'm often scratching my head and shaking my head and asking my questions. That's not God. He is exalted in power. He understands everything. All the angles of my trial. And I think what Elihu is saying, Job, you can trust God. And he's saying that to you and me. While the human friends and comforters have limited understanding, God does not. And God does not despise people. He loves people. 
Sometimes when we're going through trials, that's what we wonder. And that's what began, Job began to wonder, does God despise me? Am I now an enemy of God? Why are these arrows coming at me if I'm anything but an enemy of God? And the truth is that God loves us. He doesn't despise us. He loves us, but he does deal with the wicked. If you continue to shake your fist at God, he will deal with you eventually, but he gives justice, look at verse 6, to the afflicted. There's an old saying preachers have held on to for years. The job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Amen? And so if you come into a place like this afflicted, the heart, I think, of every pastor is that you would be comforted. But if you come in here too comfortable, you may just get afflicted a little bit. And that is kind of where this is going now, is Elihu's going to begin to say to Job that you need to consider what God is doing, because even though he brings justice to the afflicted righteous of his people, he is doing something. You could say something disciplinary in Job's life. He, God, does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. Job, he knows what you're going through. But with kings on the throne, he has seated them forever and they are exalted. He never takes his eyes off the innocent, but he sets them on thrones with kings and exalts them forever. Whatever your problems may be tonight, they're temporary. See, God's intention is that you would be seated in the heavenlies and one day you're going to realize the kingdom of God and you're going to realize a place where sin and death and tears and disease are no more. Amen? That's your future as a believer. Joseph, uh, his story is fitting here because he was delivered over to slavery by his brothers he ends up serving Potiphar, falsely accused. But he went from the prison to what? To the palace. Second highest ruler in Egypt through God's sovereign hand. But in those years of suffering, and some believe that he spent like 14 years going through his suffering with, I'm sure, some lonely nights and question marks. Even though God's favor was with Joseph, he was still not where he wanted to be, in a foreign land, without his family, etc., etc. But the prison became a, a place where God then elevated him to the palace. We just don't know what God may be doing. See, Elihu says that the righteous people of God will end up being exalted with kings. Jesus said in Luke 22, you are those who have stood by me in my trials and just as the Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Listen to this. Right after he said that, he turns to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's Luke 22, 28 through 32. On the heels of a promise from Jesus, you're going to sit on thrones, you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel and then he turns to Peter and says, oh, by the way, Peter, Satan's been demanding permission to destroy you. He wants to put you in a 
plastic bag on the grocery aisle. He wants to sift you like wheat. Why didn't you tell me that, Lord? I didn't need that piece of information. Yes, you did, because you need to know that I'm praying for you. And when you have turned again, what was about to happen to Peter? He was about to fall on his face. He's about to deny the Lord three times that he even knew him. He was going to go out and weep bitterly, but he was going to turn back again. And the first ten chapters of the book of Acts are Peter preaching in the midst of Jerusalem with the power of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't even confess Christ in front of a servant girl. And now he said to the religious leaders, we're not going to stop speaking in this name. I don't care what you do to me. What makes the difference there? The Lord is exalted. The Lord is his name. And if the righteous here, verse 8, are bound in fetters or chains and are caught in the cords of affliction, and this often does happen. In fact, this language, fetters, is used of chains of captives. If you're interested, write down Nahum 3.10, Isaiah 45.14, and Psalm 147, verse 8. Sometimes the righteous are bound in chains or bound in fetters. Well, give me an example. You might say, Pastor Michael, how about Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail? Being put in the stocks, what was their crime? They were preaching Jesus Christ in Philippi. <laughs> they delivered a servant girl from demonic possession, and they were thrown in prison how many brethren do you think tonight are behind bars simply just because they spoke out the gospel in a place where it was illegal? The righteous can end up in chains. Jesus was carrying his cross down the Via Dolorosa. What did he do wrong? Nothing. Sometimes the righteous just end up in chains or cords of affliction the New Living Translation, verse 8, Job 36 says, sometimes we end up in a web of trouble. Now, sometimes the web is woven carefully by our own dumb decisions, amen? We often talk about a web of lies. And sometimes we have woven the web ourselves. But sometimes the chains around us are the enemy. Sometimes it's his web that he has spun for us, so to speak, and we walk somewhere not expecting to get caught in the web. What do we do in those circumstances? If, if anything, that explains Job, does it not? Job was a righteous and godly man. Why is he in the condition he's in? Because Satan has attacked him with guns blazing. Well, when this happens, what, what does God do? When someone, uh, a, a righteous person, is in chains or fetters or in a web of trouble, then he, God, declares to them their work and their transgressions, that they have magnified themselves. Another version says, he shows them the reason, he shows them their sins of pride. The righteous do suffer, write this down, this is Hebrews 5.8, it says, although he, Jesus, was a son, Hebrews 5.8, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Hebrews 5.8, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. You mean Christ had to learn obedience? Yes, because he was fully human, 
And because he did grow, and he was growing in the grace and knowledge of, of the Lord, growing in wisdom and stature and so forth, some of that is a mystery how that all works. But the righteous do suffer. Chains of affliction, chains of persecution. And when you're going through something, Elihu says that God will declare their work to them, or the other translation, New Living, says he will declare a reason. What is he saying? Elihu does not deny that, this, that Job is innocent. He's not saying that his suffering is a result of sin. But Elihu is saying that suffering often brings out the pride and rebellions, rebellion in our hearts as it has done to Job. Please hear me very clearly. Elihu is saying, Job, you have now sinned against God since you began the suffering. See, how many times in your own life have you gone through something, and you may be going through something tonight, and maybe it's lingered for a while, and maybe you've prayed about it a multitude of times, and it's there, and you didn't like the darkness of your heart as you went through it. I, my heart has disappointed me many, many times. Where I, I'm going through something, and I'm a man of faith, and I'm a pastor, and I've been walking with the Lord for three decades, and then I get a little poo-poo, and you take it away, and a thorn in my flesh, and then, why? It's been, it's been 26 minutes, oh, why, oh, right? And the things that we have preached to others, now we have to walk. Now we have to say, am I going to lean into God or am I going to just do a whole lot of whining and complaining? What does my heart look like when something doesn't get fixed in a microsecond the first time I pray about it? What does my heart look like? What does my faith look like when I'm praying about something that I think God should do? If I were the running the universe, I would certainly do it for, for me. <laughs> Right? And then it doesn't happen. Will I yield to God anyway? Or will I begin to complain? The chains, says one writer, the cords of affliction, not only keep them from traveling further down a wrong road, but they inflict pain to make the errant conscious of the impending doom that lies at the end of the wayward path they have taken. Let me translate. Sometimes God allows us to be bound up a little bit so we don't keep going down the stupid road we started. And I can't tell you how that all works, but if we start to get silly with God and we start making our accusations against God and we can bind ourselves up, right? Just by ourselves alone. But at some point, God may narrow the gap, so to speak, so you don't keep walking down that same road. God has ways of getting our attention because he's a loving father who disciplines his children. Amen? Why? But, but why? Well, if you read Hebrews 12, it says he disciplines us that we may share in his holiness. He's trying to make us more like him. And Elihu is revealing to Job something that Job needs to see. 
because Job started off so good. Go back and remind yourself for a second. In Job 1, go all the way back to Job 1. We're going to review the entire book of Job now. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. So go back to Job 1. So when the announcement came that um, Job's children were killed, uh, 19, a great wind came from across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house. It fell on the young people and they died. I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and what did he do? He worshiped and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. We all know the song, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. In the very next chapter, Satan goes full force after Job, verse 7, chapter 2. He went out, Satan did, from the presence of the Lord. He smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a posture to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Do you see where Job talks about ex accepting adversity? There's such a thing as the gospel of adversity, brothers and sisters. The gospel of adversity. You know what that is? It's called your Christian life. <laughs> You're going to face adversity in your Christian life. And God's going to use that adversity in your life to shape you and to instruct you and to teach you. And these are some of the hard lessons and they're some of the, the most difficult pains that we can go through. Elihu talks to Job in 36.10 about that type of instruction. He says, God opens their ear to instruction and commands that they return from evil. He makes them, NIV, listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. If they hear, and here's two possible responses to God's word, if they hear and serve him, so let's say that they got involved in complaining and sin and they're going the wrong direction, they shall end their days in prosperity, and this is what's going to happen to Job, and their years in pleasures, everything will be restored back to him. But if they do not hear, what will happen? They shall perish by the sword, and they shall die without knowledge. Hosea 4, 6, the Lord says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas comes up and betrays him with a kiss. They begin to take Jesus into custody. Uh, Peter pulls out his sword. He begins hacking away and he cuts the ear off of the servant of the high priest, Malchus, right? And Jesus says, put your sword in, your, in, your, in the sheath. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Don't you know I must drink this cup of suffering and the cup of wrath? How else will the word of God be fulfilled? Now to Peter's credit, at least he tried to defend his Lord. Amen? 
I'm not sure any of us would have been strong enough knowing what the numbers looked like, knowing, knowing there was hundreds of soldiers, and Peter newly, uh, surely knew it was a death sentence to pull that sword out. But he did it anyway. He actually did what he said he was going to do. He said, Lord, I will die for you, and he was willing. But do you know what? If Jesus had not intervened and healed the ear right there, Peter would have died that night, most likely, you know, taking all the, just the human things into account, the odds. And then Peter never would have had his ministry. See, sometimes we're heading down a road and there's inexplicable things that have happened to us and God is instructing us. And if we keep moving away and entering into a more narrow, narrow place and keep adding link by link the chains of rebellion and turning our back on God, at some point that sword may end up killing you. You say, what does that mean? That means if you know God and you start feeding an addiction, you start going astray, you start doing all the wrong things and you continue down that road of rebellion, God might just hand you over to that and to the consequences of that. Have you seen it before? I have. Where someone just goes off and, you know, they had a, a Christian testimony and something happened and sadly they, they end up perishing by the sword. Jesus said in Luke 8, 18, consider carefully how you listen. And he said that right after he shared the parable of the sower or the soils. He compared the word of God to seed that a sower throws into the ground. And he, he gave three types of soil, remember? And he said only one soil was good and produced a crop. And right after he shared that parable, he said these words, be careful how you listen. See, this is what Elihu is telling Job. Job is a good man, but he's lost his way. He says in 13, Job 36, the godless in heart lay up anger. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth, and their life perishes among the cult prostitutes. After wasting their lives in immoral living, the New Living Translation says, some, um, sadly, here in verse 14, in their youth perish. And here there's a, uh, a comment or a, a reference to cult prostitution, which, you know, in my notes I just put some end up in extreme sexual sin and God gives them over to it and there's the potential of perishing to it. Scary thought. And let me park here just to say that if it weren't for the grace of God in my life, uh, we all know that uh, Paul told Timothy to flee from youthful lusts. Well, if the Lord would have allowed me to taste the full consequences of some of my decisions back then, I wouldn't be standing here. Because I spent a decent amount of years uh, chasing that stuff and doing dumb things. And I'll just say, by the grace of God, go I.
It's only by the grace of God that this didn't happen to many of us. And so, here the godless in heart lay up anger. They, instead of crying out to God, they just keep going down, 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 down in their sin. And that's a, that's a tough place to be. And let me just uh, throw some grace on this by telling you that often what comes to mind when I see verses like this is the story of the prodigal. And when the father just says, if that's what you want, go. And he lets him go. And the prodigal wastes all of his money on riotous living, right? And he's, he ends up destitute in a pig pen, longing to eat the food that the pigs eat. And then he has a moment where what happens? He comes to his senses. And then he returns to his father. Elihu reaffirms that God's purpose in using discipline and even pain is to turn the afflicted through their affliction. That is, to turn them back to God in their affliction. To lead them back to God's purpose for their lives, which is in Ephesians 2.10, which is to walk in the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. So sometimes somebody goes off and they're a disaster and they may have prayed a sinner's prayer at a uh, youth camp or you know got saved somewhere along the way and they've left the father's house and they've gone off on their own and sometimes we have to be in the very pig pen before we come to our senses and then we have to look back and say well thank god that he got my attention that way so i didn't waste my life and i could use it in service of the king this is Elihu's message to Job. He says, NIV says, He, God, is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. He, if you have the New American Standard, enticed you from the mouth of distress. God is calling you back from the jaws of distress, from a narrow place to a broad place of freedom. Sin seems so enticing until you get there and it begins to squeeze you more and more and more and more. We've heard the stories of famous people who got addicted to a substance and they were locked in a room, just themselves and their pipe, and, and it started innocently enough, if I could put it that way. Oh, just try a little you know, recreational use, this or that. And then they were in a tight place. Some of you remember the story of Richard Pryor actually lit himself on fire, laying in a hospital bed. He said, my thought was not to call Bank of America, but to cry out to God. This is what God does. But you were full of judgment on the wicked, 17. Judgment and justice take hold of you. But now, NIV 17, you are laden with judgment due to the wicked. Do, do the wicked. Judgment and justice have taken hold of you. A little tough to interpret this verse, but he may be saying that, Job, you've become full of judgment instead of full of God. And the judgment may possibly be Job's judgment of God 
See, Elihu believes that God is mercifully grabbing hold of Job to bring him back. But Job has moved from a place where he worshipped God even in his suffering to now every other sentence is some way to blame God. And he's become full of judgment that the wicked constantly are shaking their fist at God. And if this interpretation is right, Elihu may be saying, Job, you're doing the same thing that wicked people do. And you were the most righteous man in the East. And now you've descended to this place. He is to heed the message and not to be enticed to scoff at God, but to be full of God, full of blessing for us, full of the Holy Spirit, not drunk with wine, but full of the Spirit. God is offering Job a great gift and luring him back to freedom. Beware, 18, lest wrath entice you to scoffing. Do not let the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. Will your riches keep you from distress or all the forces of your strength? Do not long for the night when people vanish in their place. If you would write this down, 721, 10, 18 through 22, and 17, 13 through 16. Each of these sections are Job basically saying, I want to die. And Elihu says to Job, don't long for the night. Don't long for a premature death. Learn from the suffering. Don't check out. Oh, how many people are in suffering and, and look, brethren, we... This, this, is, this is said with the deepest of compassion. But how many people in their suffering come to that point, right? Well, well maybe I, I, sh- I shouldn't live anymore. What do I have to live for? If this is the way it's going to be, maybe I should just take my life. Please don't listen to that lie. It's, it's a very real temptation for many, many people to come to that point where suffering has so squeezed their life that they think, well, that's what I got to do now. But that's not the answer. He says, be careful. Do not turn to evil, for you've preferred this to affliction. Don't blame God. Turn to him, Job. Remember, this is the second to the last chapter before God speaks, so we're getting to the nitty-gritty. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has appointed him his way? And who has said, thou hast done no wrong, or thou hast done wrong? Remember that you should exalt his work of which men have sung. All men have seen it. Man beholds from afar. God is exalted in what he created. He is the ultimate instructor, and often his instruction comes through the refiner's fire. Elihu is bringing the life-changing truth that Job knew and practiced at the beginning of his trial. Please hear what I'm about to say. But he has lost his way. See, oftentimes when truth comes into our life, The most important truths are not new truths that we've never heard before, but ones that we used to practice and somehow got away from. 
through sometimes just a slow, methodical slide, you know, not an overnight thing, but just an incremental loosening, uh, you know, kind of little compromises, and then what we used to stand for so strongly, even when people may have said you have the right to shake your fist at God, now we've completely lost our way. And Elihu's saying to Job, Job, look again at his work. Remember that you should exalt his work, Job. He gives songs in the night. We saw that in the previous chapter. Job, why don't you remember his work 24, of which men have sung. All men have seen it. Man beholds from afar. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that Jesus was quoting a song? Psalm 22. In the Philippian jail, Paul and Silas were singing hymns at midnight and the prison shook and the chains came off. And the Philippian jailer trembling after he thought he lost the prisoners. And Paul says, no, we're all here. Don't do yourself no harm. And he says, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. How could you be in stocks? Probably spread out as far as you could be with your legs. And clamped in, having just been beaten by rods and singing hymns at midnight. Come on. Really? Is that just a story? Have God, has God ever put a song in your heart in the midst of suffering? And you're like, who could sing it a time like this? <laughs> and then it comes to you. And Jesus from the cross quotes a song. Do you know that Jesus right after he instituted the Last Supper, sang a hymn with his disciples. Do you know that the Bible says that one day our God will sing over us? What do you think that's going to be like? He is exalted. Behold, God is exalted. 26, we're winding it down. And we do not know him. The number of his years is unsearchable. Look again, Job, he's above and beyond time. An illustration uh, Paul is going to teach us next Wednesday, and he will pick up on this. For he, he gives an illustration now from the process of evaporation, condensation, and precipitation. A bit mysterious, especially to the ancient mind. It results in a fierce thunderstorm. Read it with me. It says, for he draws upon the drops of water... They distill rain from the mist, 28. Which the clouds pour down, they drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges peoples, he gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence. The cattle also concerning what is coming up. Elihu meditates on the phenomenon of a raging thunderstorm. In it is God's power and provision. It's mysterious, 
and yet it's a supply of water. God rides the clouds. Listen to this description. When the clouds gather, as it were, with God riding them like a chariot, we're to picture God zapping the earth and the sea with fierce shafts of lightning so bright that they expose even the roots and depths of the sea, verse 30, symbolizing the most remote and dangerous corners of creation. It's an amazing picture. And the picture is preparing Job to hear directly from the Lord. See, when God begins to talk to Job, he's going to say to Job, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? Oh, you, I know you got questions, but let me remind you of who I am. I am exalted. I am God, and I do love you, and I am working, and I'm going to restore everything back to you. And there's a deeper purpose even for your suffering that you can't see, and that is that it's going to foreshadow the cross of my son. Oh, Lord, be exalted over my problems. Oh, Lord, be exalted over my complaining. At this, my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out from his mouth. Father, thank you for this section of Job. It is a challenging section. To imagine that we were Job and Elihu was speaking to us. But I kind of get the feeling that Job's heart is softening. And that Elihu's words have prepared Job to hear from God. And many of the things that he begins to plant before Job, Job is going to receive from the Lord. And Job is going to repent. He's going to say, I'm closing my mouth. I'm not talking anymore. Because I had heard about you. But now my eyes see you. And we know you're going to do a great restoration in Job's life. Restore back to him many blessings. He's going to live to a ripe old age. And we're grateful, Lord, for the way that you work, despite the fact that we don't always handle it the right way, despite the fact that we lack faith, despite the fact that sometimes we, we, we don't understand and we have our questions. But would you be exalted even over our questions? Would you renew faith in this room tonight? Would you help us to have a new song in our heart when we're suffering and we don't have any answers other than I'm just going to lean into God? Would you bless your people that have come out on this wonderful Wednesday night? Bless them, encourage them, renew their songs. Thank you for the songs that you've been given to Shane recently as we've gone through this book. And my prayer is simply that you be exalted in this fellowship in our families, in our, in our individual lives and walks. In Christ's name I pray.